who would like to uh, continue listening. Um, So for those of you who would like to continue listening, um, I upload all of the material to the podcast. Uh, you can go to Anchor, you can download Anchor, um, and you can listen to all of the episodes um, that we've done previously, inshallah ta'ala. And I will be periodically uploading more information, more lectures on the, um, on the Anchor app. Um, on the podcast and the um, all the stuff that was on um, SoundCloud, eventually, inshallah ta'ala, I will pull all of that stuff. I have all of that stuff in a file and I'll just begin to, um, you know, uh, right. Um, and also the upcoming course, which is um, uh, scheduled to start September 10th. And that is the anatomy of love, exploring some of the nuances of interpersonal relationships in the Quran and in the Sunnah. Um, the deadline for the registration for that course is um, Monday. So if you have not registered by Monday, that will be the cutoff time. So if you are interested in registering for the course, please reach out to me because as of right now, we only have a few students. And by Monday, if I don't have a certain amount of students, I'm going to cancel the course and run it again at another time, inshallah. All right. Uh, also, the detox course, which will start um, September 26th, uh, we have a, you know, a nice number of people that are registered for that. So that will still continue. All right. So we've arrived at um, basically number seven uh, for the 10 ways to know that you are actually ready for marriage. So number seven for us today will be, um, if you are not willing to be transparent, all right, if you're not willing to be transparent about your past, then you are not ready for marriage. If you are not willing to be transparent about your past, then you are not ready for marriage. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that you have a sit down, you have a meeting, one meeting, two meetings with an individual, and you're just kind of spilling your guts, you know, you're giving them your whole life story. That's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is that there are certain things that people need to know about you up front before they make a decision to continue on with you. And these are things that each and every one of us know. <laughs> If you have a communicable disease, if you have an STD, don't you think that the person should know that up front before you get the person emotionally involved with you? And these are things that we already know. These are things that I shouldn't have to state. We already know this. Would you want somebody to do that to you? Would you want somebody to string you along and then dump some information on you? You know what I'm saying? Like, would you want somebody to do that to you? Absolutely not. So I don't have to necessarily spell it out, but I am today because I have a little bit of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so a person might say, well, should I, I just had one meeting or one sent down with the person. Should I tell them my whole life story? No, you don't necessarily need to tell the person your whole entire life story. But there are some, you know, some things that the person should know at the very beginning. At the very beginning. 
If you were in an abusive relationship, your past marriage was a physically, verbally, emotionally abusive relationship. Don't you think that the person that you are going into a relationship with moving forward, don't you think that they should know about that? You can't marry someone, keep this information because this is what is called lying by omission. Lying by omission, meaning you're not lying to the person telling them that this didn't happen to you. You're just not mentioning it at all. You're just not saying it. But in order for people to, you know, to be able to make an informed decision, they have to have the necessary information. You follow me? When a person is making a decision to be with you, to be married to you, or if you are non-Muslim and you know you're in still in the relationship phase of you know boyfriend, girlfriend, or mates, or whatever the case may be, before you make a decision or before someone makes a decision to be with you, don't you think that there's some pertinent information that they need to make an informed decision? Not that we keep things away from a person engage in the relationship with them, and then we'll fill in the blanks as our relationship moves on. La wallahi. We can't do that. You can't do that to somebody. That's called deception. You are deceiving the person because you know that if there was, this information was put on the table at the very beginning, you know damn well the person would not have chosen to be in a relationship with but we deceive. So we keep this information hidden at the beginning, and then we continue on in a relationship with the person, knowing that there's a chance that this is going to be exposed later on. And then when it is finally exposed, then we got a million and one explanations for why and why we didn't tell you from the beginning. I was sparing your feelings and all of this other stuff, man. And, you know, Hiding information from people steals their ability to make informed decisions. Hiding information from people, and even in Islam, there's actually a principle in the, the usul al-fiqh, in the sciences of fiqh, the principles of fiqh. There's actually a principle that says, Delaying information at a time where it's pertinent is haram. Delaying information or omitting information at a time when it is pertinent, when it is necessary, is haram in our religion. And there are tons of hadith Tons of narrations that I can give you if you say, well, what's the delil for that? You got these Islamic radicals that always want delil for everything. And then when somebody provides you with the delil, you turn a blind eye to the delil and still go do it anyway. Like, don't ask for delil. Let me just say something to you, brothers and sisters. Don't ask for delil. Don't ask for evidence for something from the religion if you're not going to follow it. Because once that information comes to you and then you totally ignore it and you go against it anyway, the repercussions, the divine repercussions for that are far worse. Ignorance in some instances is an excuse in Islam. Al-Udhr bil-Jahl, which is another principle in fiqh. Al-Udhr bil-Jahl, you know, excuse based upon ignorance which applies in many situations, not all, but in many situations, being ignorant is excusable. 
you are excused due to your ignorance. But once you say, well, what's the delil for that? Or what is the evidence for that? And then someone gives you the evidence for that, you are now accountable because you know. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, don't ask about things that when they are made clear to you, it's going to cause you a problem. Don't ask about things that when they are clarified to you, when they are explained to you, they're going to cause you problems because now you become accountable. It's a difference, a clear difference. Allah says in the Quran, are they equal, those who know, to those who don't know? They're not equal. They're not the same. And so therefore, they will not be dealt with the same. They're not, they will not be dealt with in the same fashion. So hiding information from people steals their ability to make informed decisions. It's called deception. Khiana. In Arabic, it's called khiyana, to deceive someone. Allah says in the Quran about the hypocrites, They seek to deceive Allah and his messenger, but they only deceive themselves. Not khiyana. Khiyana is treachery. Excuse me. Treachery. Al-khida' which is um, to deceive the person. To deceive a person. To withhold information from the person that you know if they had access to that information, they would have made a different decision. That's deception. So let me give you some Islamic context for that. The Prophet ﷺ, one day he was walking, authentic hadith, one day he was walking in the marketplace. Right, the Prophet ﷺ, he was walking in the marketplace one day, and he saw a guy selling some fruits on a cart. They had fruit on a cart, selling his fruits on a cart. And the Prophet ﷺ, for some reason, the narration doesn't mention why, but perhaps the fruit, all of the fruit on top, just looked too perfect. You know, when something looks too perfect, it almost is like it's unreal. <laughs> He walked past a cart, guy selling his fruit, and he sees all of the fruit on the top just like so perfect. And it's just like, if you are picking fruit out of your garden, you know that there's gonna be some fruit that has spoiled, some fruit that has you know, damage marks on it. You know, there's some fruit, right? Right, Right. thank you for that. Uh, I said it right the first time, but I, I got mixed up. They seek to deceive Allah and those who believe, but they only deceive themselves and they don't know, uh, and they know not. And they don't even perceive, right? So the Prophet ﷺ, he walks past the guy selling his fruit on the cart. And perhaps, you know, what he noticed seemed too perfect, all right? And this is a key for brothers and sisters going into marriage. When a person sits down at the table with you and, you know, their whole narrative just seems so perfect, so perfectly written, you know what I mean? So perfectly written. It's just like, it's too good to be true. When a person shows you their flaws and when they lead with their flaws and their mistakes, that's a, that tells you that the person is genuine. 
They don't have anything to hide. They led with their flaws, their mistakes. They led with that because they want you to see them for who they truly are so that there's no BSing. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have time to waste. I want you to be able to see me for who I am so that if you make a decision to get involved with me, that you are doing it from a place of knowledge. You're doing it from a place of understanding my why, understanding me and who I am. I don't have time to play games with you. You understand? That is, you know, that is how you know that a person is genuine. But when a perfect person comes off just so perfect, yeah, I was divorced, but, you know, my ex-husband, he was, you know, he was this, he was that, you know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of perfect, you know, I wear my niqab, I wear all black, I, I follow the Quran and the Sunnah and it's Allah and it's Messenger, and I just want to go to Jannah and all that good stuff. And you sitting here like, well, damn, this, this, you know, this seems too good to be true. <laughs> And when it seems too good to be true, nine times out of 10, it is. <laughs> nine times out of 10, it is. You got to scratch a little deeper to go beneath the surface because there's something behind that. Sometimes we hide in the thralls of our perfection. We hide, we bury ourselves in what, you know, what we present to the outside world as perfection. We come off as perfect. I remember years ago when we used to do lectures, you know, in the Salafi community, you had some speakers, not calling out any names, but you had some speakers who would give a lecture and then they would go and collect the tape, collect the CD. They would not allow anybody to have access to it. And then they would take it back to their hotel room, they would play it and they would edit it, take out parts that they believed that were mistakes, they would edit it and pull the stuff off. And then days later, they would release it in public so that it's perfect. Nobody can criticize me, nobody can say anything about me because everything I said in my lecture was politically correct, was sound, and nobody can say anything about me. I used to watch this. Meanwhile, me, I'm just like, nah, put it out as it is, mistakes and all, you know what I mean? Like, if I made a mistake, then somebody can correct me. I, I don't have a problem with it. But when I put it out as it is, it's genuine. You understand? Mistakes show you how genuine a person is. Perfection, perceived perfection, um, there's a lot that goes on behind that door. When a, person, when a person tries so hard to make you see how perfect they are, usually they are not. So perhaps the Prophet ﷺ, when he walked by the basket with the fruit in it, it just looked too perfect. It looked too perfect. So the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ put his hand in the, the, the basket of fruit all the way to the bottom, and he felt that the fruit at the bottom was spoiled. The fruit at the bottom was spoiled. Got it. So what you put on the top was the fresh fruit the fruit that looked good, you know, and you're gonna sell the whole basket based upon the fruit that's on the top. That's deception. Because when the person gets home and they get to the bottom of the basket, they see that all of the fruit at the bottom is spoiled. You follow me? That is deception. That is the art of deception. And that is what some people do with when it comes to marriage in the Islamic community and outside of the Islamic community. We're all trying to hide and bury all of these little nuances, and it's all part of who you are. Don't try to hide that. It's all part of who you are. 
brothers lying about how many sisters they done been married to, to how many times you've been married. Oh, I've only been married two or three times. Meanwhile, you've been married seven, eight times. Like, what are you lying for? Why are you lying? And the reason why you lie about how many times you've been married is because you are ashamed of your past. You are ashamed of your past. And if you are ashamed of your past, then you are ashamed of others' past that resemble the past that you come from. So you have a shaming mechanism with you based upon what went on in somebody's past because you are ashamed of your own past. You guys following me? And if a person is ashamed of his own past and they have to lie in order to paint a picture of themselves that is not real, they are ashamed of your past as well because the moment they find out about your past, they're going to shame you for it. You see how that works? And this might actually explain a lot of the marriage and divorce that goes on in our communities. This might explain a lot, man. Because we shame people for their past because we are ashamed of our own past. But you never get access to that person's past because they paint a picture, a perfect picture of their present. No, I never did that. Oh, I only been married this amount of times. Oh, I never did that. You know, you're, you're getting what they paint to you. You never get access to their past, but they have full access to your past and they shame you for it. They shame you for it. And if you shame me for my past, then I can only imagine how you feel about your own past. If you shame me, oh, he's been married this amount of times or whatever, why is that so bad in your eyes? Because you don't know the person's why. You don't know why they've been married that many times. You, and I mean, as I said before, if you do not have the concern to ask the person why, you don't have the privilege to judge them. I only have the privilege to judge somebody when I understand why, why they did it. I understand their why. When I understand your why, now I'm in a privileged place to actually judge you because I know why now. But if you don't have the decency, you don't have the concern to ask the person why, then you don't have the, the right to judge them. You don't have, you don't have the concern to ask the person why, then you don't have the privilege to judge them. Follow me. It's not that the person could have changed, but the person could have had a certain set of circumstances. We go through things in our lives at different periods in our lives, and the things that we are going through in our lives at that particular period in time affects the decisions that we make. So yeah, I might have been married to two or three sisters within a year's time because possibly I was going through something at that moment. I didn't realize at the time when I did that, but years later as I matured, I realized the mistake that I was making is that was I was chasing love because I didn't love myself. So I thought that if I could just find somebody to fall in love, it would make me forget about the emptiness of the love that I have, the lack of love that I have for myself. You understand? We make decisions in our lives based upon where we're at in our lives. And then we tell that narrative to someone else. We say, hey, yeah, I've been married two or three times. 
And we're so afraid that the person is going to judge us in that moment that we, you know, we omit that information and we appear perfect. But when you, when you stand in your discomfort, you stand in your narrative, you never have to worry about somebody judging me. I, I ain't worried about nobody judging me. Because until you can walk in my shoes and understand my why, you don't have, a, you don't have the privilege to judge me. And your judgment is inconsequential. It means absolutely nothing. You can go amongst your constituents and you can say whatever you want to say about me. It does not make me lose one iota of sleep because of how you judge me. I'm not going to lose anything. Here again, I don't live in your praises and therefore I don't die in your criticism. I don't live in your praises and I'm not, not going to die in your criticism. So the Prophet sticks his hand down in the bottom of the fruit basket and he feels that the fruit at the bottom is spoiled. And he turns to the guy selling the fruit and he says, He said, why don't you put the spoiled fruit on top so people can actually see what they're buying? Put the spoiled fruit on top so people can see what they're buying. Same thing with relationships. Put the spoiled fruit on the top so people can see what they're getting. Put the whole narrative on the front line, lay it out on the table so people can make informed decisions about whether or not they want to spend the rest of their life with you. Don't deceive the person and force the person's hand by omitting information that is pertinent to them, information that they needed. There are some people that are probably listening right now that are with someone right now that says, if I would have known about this person at the time, at the onset of our relationship, I would have never gone into a relationship with the person. I didn't find out about this until after we were two, three children, two, three years into the relationship. And at that time, you are already emotionally invested. At that moment, you are already emotionally invested. And you start to feel ashamed that now I'm going to pull out. So you start to think of ways in your mind by which you can just live with that information. You got to live with it now. And some people are bold enough to say, I don't give a damn how many kids in or how many years in, I found out some information that compromises my ability to continue being with you, I'm out. <laughs> There's some bold souls that do that, but that, that requires a certain type of, a certain type of energy <laughs> that everybody ain't cut from. That, re that requires a certain type of energy that everybody don't have. You understand? Everybody don't function like that. Everybody can't just... You know, as a, as um, as Robert De Niro said, you know, in heat, don't ever be involved in something that you can't walk away with it and walk away from it in 30 seconds flat. You know what I mean? Like everybody ain't built like that. Everybody not cut from that cloth, but there's some bold souls that will. All right. So the Prophet Sallallahu he said, why don't you put the spoiled fruit on top? So people can actually see what they're buying. He said, whoever deceives us is not from us, meaning his behavior, their behavior is not the behavior of Islam. It doesn't mean that the person is not Muslim. It just means that the person is functioning, is engaging in behaviors that is un-Islamic, that has nothing to do with our religion. Our religion is about transparency. Our religion is about transparency, all right? 
And some men, let me just speak to some of the men. Some of the men, what we do, we think that once we get married, we'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to work the system. Men, we've learned how to work the system since we were kids. Our mother tell us, you know, go lay down, go do this or go do that. We find another way to get around that. You know, we learn how to work the system, especially when it comes to women. We've learned how to work the system at a very young age. So what we do is we know that there's some things in our past that if this woman had access to right now, she probably wouldn't be with me. But I'm going to keep that from her and I'm going to come off, you know, perfect, the perfect guy for her. And then once I marry her, you know what I mean? And, you know, God forbid, we believe that we can control people with sex. Some, some men still believe that we can control women with sex. That once, you know, she get, you know, once we're intimate, you know, and she get a taste of this, you know, she'll accept anything about me. You know, it, it'll be all good. And some of you women still silly enough to fall for that stuff. Man. Some of you women are still silly to fall. So, you know, yeah, but the sex was good. Okay, sex is only one component. And believe it or not, it's not even, sex is not even, sex is more mental and psychological than it is physical. The biggest sex organ or biggest sex muscle in the body is the brain, (laughs) not the private part. Some of you still functioning like you're 16, 17 years old. You're still functioning like 17, 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, adolescents, young adults, where sex can now, you know, alter your decisions. Sex can now influence your decisions. I mean, how shallow are you? I mean, you, you get to your mid-30s, late-30s, early-40s. You know what I mean? Like, sex should not have that much influence over your life. Sex should not have that much influence. The physical aspect of sex should not have that much influence over your decisions in life. I'm going to stay because the sex is good. It's like, you're going to stay with a man because, you know, physically he can satisfy you? You know what I mean? Like, how shallow are you? How shallow are you? I mean, you know, to each his own. I'm not judging nobody, but to me, it just seems very elementary, seems very shallow, very immature that you would allow the sexual aspect of sex to control and influence what type of decisions you make on your life. I mean, to me, I think that we grow past that. In high school, maybe. In college, maybe. Post-college years, like you should have matured to the point where sexual, you know, physical stimulation is is not the bulk of your of your relationship with someone. Anyway, to each his own. But some men, we think that I'm gonna keep this information from her. I'm gonna marry her. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna tame her, you know, sexually. And no matter what she hears about me afterwards, you know, we already in the relationship, so it's nothing that she's can really do about it after that. And sometimes that works, brothers. Sometimes it does work. And sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) It's a roll of the dice. But I would like to think that a man can sleep comfortably, having been completely transparent with the person from the very beginning. I can sleep comfortably because everything that, you know, you found out about me, I already told you. I'm never going to let anybody dangle nothing over my head. I'm never going to allow you to find out information about me from somebody else. I will tell you. I will tell you in the spirit of being transparent. Love is the greatest vulnerability. 
And that includes being vulnerable with yourself to foster self-love. If you can't be vulnerable enough with yourself to realize that you've made some mistakes in the past, if you can't be vulnerable enough with yourself to just come to the realization that you've made some horrible mistakes in the past and learn how to love yourself despite those mistakes, you're going to constantly tuck that, those mistakes in a, in a dark closet somewhere. They become skeletons in your closet and hoping that other people never find out about that. So you spend more time hoping that people don't find out about these things than you do just being transparent and allowing people to love you for who you are. You see how hustling backwards that is, majoring in the minor, minoring in the major. You spend more time trying to perfect this image of yourself that you have presented to the world in hopes that everybody, nobody would ever find out about the skeletons in your closet than you do just being completely open and forthright with the people that you, know, you share your world with so that they can love you genuinely for who you are, mistakes and all. There's some people who don't care about your mistakes. Some people who see your mistakes and understand your why and why you made those mistakes and they still love you anyway. They still want to, they still love you anyway, regardless. Those are the type of people that you want in your life. You don't want people to be in your life to love you simply because they believe you are perfect. Because the moment they find out you're not perfect, guess what happens? The moment they find out that this guy is not who I thought he was, or she's not who I thought she was, they're out. Because the, the love didn't start on, you know, being genuine. It didn't start on, you know, being organic. It started on a lie. It started on a lie. It started on a perceived notion of perfection. So if you've been hurt in the past, be transparent so that the person can understand your why. Not that a man marries a woman, she's in a relationship triggered by every little thing, triggering the hell out of her. She's yelling, she's screaming, having anxiety attacks and whatever the case, and you thinking in your mind as a man, what the hell am I doing to this woman? Why is she tripping? This woman is bugging. It's not that she's bugging, it's some things that went on in her life that she didn't tell you about. She came off perfect from the door, she came off perfect, like everything was good. I had a normal life, which I don't even know what that means. I had a normal upbringing, a normal life. What the hell does that even mean? That's a relative phrase, normal. That, what's normal to you might not be normal to me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what that means. You got to explain that. Well, you know, so tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your upbringing. Well, I had a normal upbringing. I had a normal childhood. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> what, do, what does a normal childhood mean? Meaning you had no trauma in your life. You had, you had no, you know, psychological damage done to you. No physical, you know, molestation, no nothing. That doesn't mean that you are normal <laughs> because you might have grown up under parents who placated your feelings, parents who created a monster made you arrogant, made you self-centered, made you a narcissist. So maybe, no, you didn't have physical trauma. Maybe you didn't have psychological trauma, but you had some other trauma too <laughs> that you are going to create in every single relationship you go into because you are a, a malignant narcissist. <laughs> you know what that is? 
You are a malignant narcissist. So no, your parents didn't, you know, you weren't put in situations where you were molested. You weren't verbally abused, physically abused. I get it. But you, you also have some other things with you as well. All right. So if you've been hurt in the past, so men, you know, sometimes we're in relationships with women and we're trying to figure out like, what in the world am I doing? Like uh, in my past relationship, you know, it wasn't that bad. You know, I'm, I'm not that bad of a spouse. You know what I mean? I do know how to, you know, speak my love language. I do know how to receive love. I do know how to be vulnerable. I do know how to be emotionally available. I, I know like the small little quirks of marriage. I, I do know that much. But I'm in a relationship with a woman like she's making me feel like I need to revamp my whole husband, you know, this whole dynamic of being a husband. And it's not you, bro. It is not you. <laughs> it's not you. It's just that you are triggering things in her that she never exposed to you. She never shared with you. And at some point, you got to sit down and say, listen, either you are going to come clean and tell me what happened in your past so that I can make sense of your present so that we can avoid this in the future or you are just going to cut me loose and continue living your lie. You know what I mean? Because you're not living your truth with me. You're living a lie. And I need to remove myself from this situation. So either you come clean with me and tell me why you so triggered at every single thing that I do, every single thing that I say, so that I can, you know, understand, you know, your, your quirks. I can understand your nuances a little better. Or you're going to continue living this perfect lie that you created and still making me believe like I'm the worst husband in the world. This is the ultimate mind freak. This is the ultimate gaslighting that women do to men. You gaslight men. You make them believe that they are the worst man. They are the worst husband. They are the, I don't understand how your last wife could tolerate you. And I don't understand how your, your last you know, situation lasted that long because I, I'm on my way out the door. And it's just like, really? Damn, you're going to go there on me? You're going to say to me, I don't know how your last situation lasted that long because I'm on my way out the door because I cannot deal with you? And it's just like, wow, maybe my last situation lasted as long as it did because the last woman I was married to did not have or did not suffer through the trauma that you did. And perhaps she, even if she did, she exposed it to me so that I was aware of certain things and I knew how to navigate my way around those things. You understand? But don't go there, like, because now that's the mind for, that's the gaslighting. So now you're making me believe that something is wrong with me when it's not necessarily anything wrong with me, it's, but it's everything wrong with you. Because you came off as, you know, Miss Perfect. Yeah, of course it goes both ways, but I'm, I'm speaking for men that are in situations like this right now. We don't necessarily have to do the gender war thing. I can, as a man, at some at, at times when it's warranted speak on because i know brothers who have gone through this good men good men good brothers who have gone through this who have married sisters and because these women live in the shadows of their perceived perfection 
They make these men, they do a, a mind game on these men, believing that something is, making these men believe that something is actually inherently wrong with them. When there's actually nothing wrong with them. They're, they're, they're the perfect specimen of a spouse. They're good brothers, good men. However, the woman wasn't transparent enough with him to allow him to see her for who she really is and to be able to help her. Of course, this goes both ways. I'm not saying that, you know, men are the only recipients of this, but women are as well. But women, you guys do a great job of, you know, mind freaking men. You, you guys do a great job of gaslighting. That's a fact. Because it is anticipated that, you know, the Muslim woman that, you know, she grew up in a perfect situation. She got her mom, she got her dad. It's, it's expected that you guys came up in, you know, and it's expected of us as men that we deviated somewhere and we went off and did us. And so it's, it's almost like it's an unwritten rule. It's almost like it's an unwritten rule that men are just inherently broken. Men are inherently dysfunctional. Men are inherently unequipped to go into a, a, a marital role as a husband. It's almost like it's expected of us to be that way. And it's almost as, as, as if it's expected that Muslim women are just perfect. They're perfect. She might have been divorced, but it was the brother's fault. She's a single mother. So, you, you know, you guys have that narrative to your back. You have that narrative, you know what I mean, to, to lean on. But for men, we never get that benefit of the doubt. It's always, oh, these Muslim men and these Muslim men are doing this and they're not doing that. And it's like, like we're inherently broken. We're inherently dysfunctional. And that's not the case. That's not the case. And we need to just have just a little bit more sympathy on the men because there are tons of good men out there, tons. Unfortunately, many of them are married. Many of them are married because there's some woman somewhere who saw this individual and said, I can work with that. And there's some of you who sit back and be looking like, please, <laughs> I'm not lowering my standards for this. I'm not lowering my standards for that. And you still single, not lowering your standards. <laughs> Very good for you, <laughs> bravo. You're not lowering your standards, but there's some woman somewhere that saw this man and said, you know what, I can work with that. <laughs> I can work with that. It's not to my standard because we ain't gonna never be to each other's standards. If you're a woman and your father has been calling you princess every day of your life, <laughs> I call my daughter princess every single day. That is creating a mindset. You understand? I call my daughter princess every morning. Good morning, princess. Get up. You understand? So quite naturally, a woman who was raised by a, a man, you know, setting a certain bar in her life, a certain standard in her life, no man is ever going to be able to meet that. So any woman who is with um, any man doesn't feel like they are equally yoked. She always feels like I settled or I, I lowered my standards a little bit for that. And I'm okay with that because... I'm, I'm not, I don't feel any type of way. If my wife says, you know, I kind of lowered my standards a little bit or I settled a little bit because believe it or not, as I said before, a woman can have any man she wants, but a man cannot have any woman that he wants. A woman can have any man she wants, but a man cannot have any woman that he wants. 
I mean, genuinely, without money, without all of the exterior stuff, a woman can literally have any man that she wants. That, that's not necessarily true for, for all men. So there is some settling that goes on and I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I don't feel any type of way because if her bar is up here and she felt like she had to settle a little bit to accept me, I'm, I feel like I'm privileged because no man will ever be able to live up to the bar that her father set for her, no man. And that's the way that it should be. You understand? That is the way that it should be. I'm teaching my daughter the same thing. And no man will ever be perfect enough for my daughter, ever. No man will ever be perfect. And I'm sure my daughter will feel the same way, that no man will match up to my father. I will never see another man, you know, like I see my father. So quite naturally, any woman is going to feel like she's settled. And that's okay. Because her lowering the bar was, you know, forced, forced me to raise my bar. And it's all, it's all good. And we meet somewhere, you know, where we're both comfortable. And I'm okay with that. You know? But if you've been hurt in the past, you know what I mean? So what, what I'm saying that to say is that, you know, I don't want to make it seem like everything is always, well, women, you know, men do the same thing or whatever. Well, we already know that. That goes without saying. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not choosing a side. My job as a leader in the Muslim community is not to choose a side. My job is to lay the facts on the table as they are. I'm not trying to, you know, advocate for men, advocate for women. I advocate for what is right. Prophet Muhammad at times he advocated for the women, at times he advocated for the men. But he, in, in the middle of all of that, he was advocating for what was right, period. So don't put me in a situation where I got to choose a side and advocate for the brothers or advocate for the sisters. I advocate for the hawk. You understand? Truth, justice, fairness. So if you've been hurt in a previous relationship, um, being transparent with the person can help you to understand your why in order to make an informed decision of whether or not they want to be in this situation with you. I'll give you another example. When Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was going to marry Umm Salama, Hind bint Abi Umayyah, she was one of, she came from one of the most elite families in Mecca, all right? One of the most elite families in pre-Islamic Meccan society. Hind bint Abi Umayyah, her father was Abu Umayyah, one of the chiefs of Quraysh. She came from the upper tiers of Meccan society. She was married to Abu Salama. She was married before she married the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, Abu Salama, when he died on his deathbed, he, his last request to Umm Salama was to make a dua that Allah bless her with someone that would be better than him. Umm Salama said she never thought that she could find a man that would be better than her husband, so she never made the dua. She said, it took me a long time to actually make this dua. She said, finally, I made the dua, O oh Allah, uh, Allahumma ajirni fi musibati, waqlufli khayru minha. O oh Allah, reward me during my time of calamity and give me what is better after it is over. Meaning, give her a better husband. She said, I didn't see another man to be better than Abu Salama, so it, it was very difficult for me to make this dua. She said, but one day I finally honored my husband. I finally honored him, his last bequest, and I made the dua. 
She said, and Abu Bakr came and proposed to me. This is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, came to propose to her. And she turned him down. No, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Then uh, Umar came and proposed to her. She turned Umar down. Not interested. The Prophet sent someone to go propose to her. And she turned him down the first time. And then the Prophet came back to her and proposed to her again. And she told the Prophet she said that in a, basically in a different set of circumstances, I would take you up on your offer. I, who wouldn't want to be married to the Messenger of Allah She said, but there are a couple of things that trouble me about marrying you. The Prophet said, what is it? She said, first, you are the messenger of Allah and you marry women. And the women that you marry are younger women and I'm an older woman and I don't really want to be in that situation. I don't want to be going back and forth with no young girls and no polygynous situation. I don't really want that. I'm an older woman. I'm more settled in my life. You know, I have my children, you know what I mean? And you marry women, you know what I mean? And I'm jealous. You know, I have a strong sense of jealousy. And I really don't want to be in that situation with some woman younger than me, prettier than me. You know, that's a real, she had a real moment here again, being vulnerable with yourself. You understand? Loving yourself enough to know your own limits, your own limitations, your own boundaries. She said, I'm not taking anything from you. I would love to be in a relationship with you. She said, but there are a couple of things that bother me. She said, one, you are the messenger of Allah. You marry women. And that shows you that the Prophet ﷺ was very upfront about his polygynous lifestyle. I am a man that is going to have multiple women. If you're going to be married to me, you are going to be in polygyny. That's a fact. So don't come this way if you are not prepared to be in that situation. You understand? That's transparency. As the Prophet ﷺ, all of his marriages were done in public. He didn't hide anything. He didn't come off as some type of monogamous guy until he catches your eye and then wants to swindle you into polygyny. It didn't work like that. He led with the fact that I am a polygynous man. Being married to somebody like me, you are going to be in a co-wife situation. That's a fact. That's transparency on the man's side. Because some men are like, oh, no, I don't, I'm, I'm not even thinking about a second wife. I just want to marry you, and I want to give you the world, and I want to go to Jannah with you, and I want to do all these great elaborate things. And then lo and behold, six months, a year, two years into the marriage, um, you know, I've been talking to a sister, inshallah, we're going to get married. It's like, what? <laughs> Since when? <laughs> The last time we talked about polygyny was at the sit down and you told me you were not interested in any second wife. You had no desire. You only saw me. You want, and, and just just as a FYI, brothers, stop selling these tickets to a concert that doesn't exist. Stop selling these tickets, man. If you are polygynous, as I said before, for every one woman that does not want to be in polygyny, there are five women that are okay, including non-Muslim women, okay with that. There's some women that are just completely okay with that. They have reconciled within themselves that men, some men, have to have more, more than one woman, and they are totally okay with that. Maybe we live in a bubble and we don't understand that. Maybe we live in a bubble and we really find it difficult to, to believe that. But I'm telling you, as I know, 
non-Muslim women, women who are not even Muslim, who are okay with being your second, your third, or your fourth wife. <laughs> some of them would, you know, if you were allowed to have more than four, they would be okay with it. Because some women have just reconciled within themselves that I would rather a man marry a woman and be upfront with me than cheat on me. You understand? Some women have reconciled that. I am totally okay with my husband marrying another woman, taking care of, you know, and of course, making sure my situation is straight. Obviously, I'm not just saying jump out there. But, you know, I mean, you, you know, I mean, there, there's tons of women out there, tons of women that are totally okay. They have reconciled within themselves. I would much rather be with a man who has more than one wife than to be with a man who is just with me and then cheating on me. I'm okay with that. You got to pick your poison for women. <laughs> That's not to say every man in monogamy is going to cheat, but most do. <laughs> most do. At some point or another throughout their relationship. Some do. <laughs> so, uh, Um Salama, she said to the Prophet, وسلم, you are the messenger of Allah. You marry women. I'm a jealous woman. I, I have extreme levels of jealousy. I don't think that I can handle that. I don't want to be in that situation. She said, um, I'm an older woman and you marry younger women. So that is also going to contribute to my insecurity. Here again, being transparent with yourself, knowing the things that you can't handle, understanding your limitations. Some cheat even with multiple wives. I'm not talking about them. They don't, they don't count. Understand, when I talk about polygyny, I'm talking about real men. I'm not talking about men who marry multiple women and you know still functioning like you, know, you got multiple girlfriends. I'm not talking about that. I don't even know those type of men. The only way that I know those type of men is when an email comes to my, my inbox. The men that I associate with, the men that I am cool with, my constituency, which many of them are in polygyny, including myself, don't function like that. I don't know those type of men. I don't know the men, you know, don't make me go Charlemagne and say black men don't cheat. Men in polygyny don't cheat. I'm talking about real men in polygyny don't cheat. That's a fact. Every man that I know of, that I am cool with, that is in polygyny, not, has not cheated. I don't know a man in polygyny other than emails that have been sent to my inbox. I don't associate or affiliate with men who do that, period. That's not, that's not my reality, as they said. That's not my reality. So I'm sure they exist, but can we actually call them men? So when, you know, Charlemagne and Little Duval run around saying black men don't cheat. You got to understand the context in which they're saying real men, real men, because the men who do cheat, can we actually call them real men? The men that are in polygyny that sleep around with other women while they're in polygyny, let's let's start to remove them from the conversation. They are non-factors. They're not even included in the conversation. They have disqualified themselves to even be you know, to, to fit in the conversation amongst real men. You understand? So she said, you know, you, I'm an older woman and you marry younger women. I don't want to be in that situation. And the last thing she said, you know, I have a lot of children. I, I have a lot of children. So I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, I'm a, I'm a burden for you. 
And the Prophet وسلم, you know, this is, was her transparency. This was her narrative, her transparency. She said, at, the Prophet وسلم, responded to all of that. He said, as for your jealousy, he said, I'll make dua that Allah remove your jealousy. And of course, we know Allah answered most of his dua. So that's, you don't have to worry about that. I'll make dua that Allah remove your jealousy. Don't worry about that. He said, as for um, your age, being older, he said, I'm older than you. Don't worry about that. Meaning, don't feel insecure. You know what I mean? Like, I'm old too. You know what I mean? Don't worry about that. He said, and as for your children, he said, Allah and his messenger will take care of your children. Meaning, your children are my children. I marry you, you're a package deal. Any child that is attached to you, any child that is connected to you, is connected to me. What can a woman say when a man makes that type of response? <laughs> that type of rebuttal? <laughs> what else could she say? She said, I'm in. <laughs> I'm game, if that's what it is. You understand? But you see how it was transparency from both ends. There was no deception. It was transparency. She knew what she was getting involved in. The Prophet ﷺ came and proposed to her. I want to marry you. I want you to be one of my wives. You understand? That was very transparent, very upfront. He didn't hide anything. I want you to be one of my wives. And she said, well, a man like you should not be denied, but there's a couple of things that trouble me about being in that situation. Number one, I'm an older woman. I don't got time to be dealing with, you know what I mean? That, that taps into my insecurity. Number two, I'm jealous. You marry, you know, pretty women. You know what I mean? Sophia was beautiful, gorgeous. Joadia, beautiful, gorgeous. Zainab, beautiful, gorgeous. Zainab used to say, y'all fathers married me, married y'all to the prophet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala married me to the prophet from above the heavens. I'm better than y'all. You understand? That's what you got to deal with. I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> and she said, you know, thirdly, you know, I have a lot of children. I don't want to overburden you. And he responded to each and every one of them, asked for, you know, and notice the Prophet ﷺ didn't take no for an answer. Some brothers just shut down the moment a woman said, no, nah, I'm not interested. Okay, and we walk away with our head down and, and walk away. If that's what you want, go after it. Make dua, make istikhara, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if it's good for you and your deen, your dunya, and your akhirah, to give it to you and go after it. Here again, the negotiation, we're always negotiating. Okay, so if those are the three things that bother you about being in a relationship with me. What if I did this, 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 this? Now what? You leave the person no room to argue. You understand? You leave the person no. We can learn a lot from the Prophet in terms of shivery, in terms of being a man. We can learn so much. I can write an entire book on just that one incident alone on how to be a man and how to approach a woman and how to get what you want. How to get what you want. He didn't let no. She said no the first time. And then he came back and proposed to her personally. And then when she brought up these issues, he did away with those issues. It's a, it's a wrap. Don't worry about it. I got you. What else is she going to say after that? Like, you can't bring up anything else because those were the things you laid on the table. And I answered them. All right, let's move forward with the marriage. <laughs> it's a wrap. And she ended up marrying him. And the Prophet ﷺ raised her children. So the point that I'm making is that if you are not ready to be transparent, you're not ready to be in a marriage. Bottom line, we cannot keep stringing people along. We cannot keep deceiving people, trying to live in the shadows of our perceived perfection. 
When a person comes off too perfect, nine times out of 10, they are not. They're not perfect as you think they are. When a person leads with their flaws, their mistakes, you can tell that you're getting a genuine person because now you, you make the choice of whether or not you want to go, you know, you know what I mean? You want to go into that because the person has laid their entire situation on the table and you can now make an informed decision. You weren't deceived. Your hand wasn't, you know, your hand wasn't forced. Nothing. But we cannot deceive people into a commitment and then afterwards, you know, try to finagle the situation to work in our favor. That's not Islam. That's not Islam. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of this stuff that goes on in the Muslim community and we have to stop. With most brothers working jobs where we're barely making it financially, do you see polygyny being realistic for those type of brothers? Islam does not stipulate a certain amount that somebody has to have. Different strokes for different folks. Some things work for some people and it don't work for others. The only thing you need to focus on is what works for you. What you will stand for, what you will not stand for. I can't deal with what other people deal with. Other people may be okay. Some woman may come along and say, I don't care how much you make. I just want to be married to you. I'm, I'm good with that. And I know situations like that. They, they don't care about that. You might care about that. That might be important to you. So for you, you have to set a certain standard of what you're going to deal with and what you're not going to deal with. But what, what most brothers making and what most brothers, mind you, polygyny is not about money. No man, including myself, including myself, no man in polygyny right now, at, at least that I know of here in America, can afford to be in polygyny. No man can afford to be in polygyny. Women require a lot. I have a one, I have one daughter, you know what I mean? Allah protect men who have more than one daughter. But I don't walk out the house except I gotta have some money in my pocket walking with my daughter because she's gonna want this, she's gonna want that. And I don't like telling her no, you know what I mean? If I got it, you understand? So taking care of a woman requires money. You know what I mean? And I'm talking about my bro best best friend, my, my three-year-old daughter, you understand? I can't walk out the house unless I got money on me because she's somewhere along the line going to stop and ask for something. With a boy, you can just say, eh, come on, uh, no, we're not getting that. You know what I mean? And you don't feel no way. But with a girl, you can't do that. With a girl, you can't do that. Uh, Instagram, this is about to cut off, inshallah, and I actually have to go. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Jazakumallahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So we cut off. Jazakumallahu khairan, inshallah ta'ala. We will continue with our last class tomorrow. Jazakumallahu khairan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam. Akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.